Hey, this is Paul Doherty. I'm the pastor of Victory Church, and I want to thank you for joining us today on the podcast. I hope this message inspires you. I hope it builds your faith. I hope it reminds you that God is not finished with you yet, and your best days are right in front of you. Enjoy the message. So if you have a Bible, go to 1 Kings 19. We welcome those that are watching online. 1 Kings 19. Yes. Last week, we left off with this man named Elijah who had done incredible things for God, God, mighty miracles. Um, He had called fire down from heaven on a altar that was soaking wet because he wanted to prove to all the false prophets that there's a real God, a true God, and he's more powerful than all the false gods that they had been worshiping. And so he had this competition on this mountain where he said, you, you call from your gods, your idols, to bring fire down, and we'll, I'll call on my God, and we'll see which God shows up. Well, all of their idols and gods didn't do nothing. And Elijah made fun of them. He said, your, your gods must be taking a bathroom break. They must be sleeping. Um, they're, they're not available right now. He was laughing, making fun of them. And then he calls on his God. God shows up. Fire falls down. Elijah calls on the rain. Rain comes. It hadn't rained in three years because Elijah had prophesied three years prior to this that it would stop raining. So Elijah was on fire. Like he had a lot of momentum. Last week, we, we, we talked about how if there was music in the Bible, that Elijah was running with momentum before this. Give me a little bit of beat back there. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Elijah was on fire. There was something, something sweet going on. He was excited. He was smiling. But then the music stopped. And the music stopped because Elijah got one bad word from one bad woman. How many of y'all know one woman can change the momentum in your life for good or bad? Elijah heard from this woman named Jezebel. And it says in verse 3 of 1 Kings 19, before we go to 8, I want you to look at verse 3. It says, you know, when, when Jezebel caught wind of Elijah, she said, I'm coming for you. I'm going to kill you because you've embarrassed me and my husband. She was the queen. She was the wife of King Ahab that Elijah had defied and Elijah had called out. And so Queen Jezebel said, I'm coming for you. You embarrassed my husband. You embarrassed my country. We've been trying to you know, build up our own prophets and they were false prophets. She said, we've been trying to do our own thing and here you are and you're wreaking havoc. You're a troublemaker and, and your ministry's over. And as soon as she sent that message to Elijah, It says Elijah was afraid. He was afraid. The momentum had stopped. Have you ever been on an escalator and it's moving and all of a sudden it stops right in the middle? Or an elevator and it's moving up and it stops and you're stuck? Who's ever been stuck on an elevator? That's a scary feeling. That's a scary. What do you do when the momentum in your life stops? What do you do when things have been flowing? The money's been coming in. The economy's good. Your marriage is working. Everything's going well. Your life seems to be lining up. And then all of a sudden you're hit with something and you start backtracking and you get stuck on that elevator. For Elijah, he was so afraid he ran for his life. He ran from his life. He ran from his calling, his purpose. And we talked about how Elijah was on a journey to hear from God, that he had gone 40 days and 40 nights into the wilderness to seek God because he was at a point of suicide. He was ready to take his own life. He was so discouraged, so afraid, so afflicted on the inside that he was done. And so he had gone into the wilderness. And we talked about how In this moment, Elijah needed to hear a word from heaven. He was hungry, thirsty, desperate to know 
what's next? Everybody say, what's next? What's next? Where do I go from here? What am I supposed to do? I, I, I can't go back home because there's a crazy woman back there. And my ministry, it's not going to work back there because people hate me. And, and, and God, I need a new assignment. I need a new city to live in. I need a new place to go to. Uh, I'm tired of being in the place I've been. I've been frustrated. I've been hitting a brick wall with my boss. It seems like nothing's going right. I feel like I'm not finding the person I was supposed to find. I feel like I'm not seeing the progress I was supposed to see. I was expecting more than what I'm seeing. Elijah was at a place of disappointment because he was expecting to see a revival in his nation when the fire came down. And instead of seeing a revival, he got a death threat. Instead of seeing, you know, the nation turn to God, now the queen of the nation was, was all out coming against him with a spiritual attack. This was an assassination against Elijah, spiritually. And if you've ever been at a place of disappointment in, in what you thought you were going to see or what you were expecting to happen in your life, then you can relate to Elijah. You're at a place of going, what's next? I thought we were gonna get married. I thought we would have children. I thought this church was gonna launch. I thought I, thought I would be there by now, but I'm here. So what's next? What do I do now? And so God shows up. Watch this in verse eight. Elijah's strengthened um, from, from eating and drinking and he travels to the mountain of God at, at Horeb. In verse nine, it says Elijah at this point finds a cave inside the mountain. He finds a cave. Now this was the same mountain that Moses had gone to when the Israelites came out of Egypt. And Elijah knew that. He had heard the stories that God appeared to Moses with fire. God appeared to Moses in a spectacular way. He was going to this mountain because he wanted to have an encounter with God the same way that Moses had an encounter with God. But how many of y'all know God never does the same thing with each person? He never, he never just does a repeat performance the same way. He changes how he comes. For some, he comes as the lamb. For some, he, he comes as the lion. For some, he comes with a shout. For some, he comes with a whisper. For some, he comes in the fire. For some, he comes in that still, small voice. And so Elijah's here. He's in the cave. He's hiding. He's sleeping. He's discouraged. He's afflicted. He's battling himself. Joyce Meyer says that there's the battlefield of the mind, that that's the most important battle we fight on a regular basis. Elijah's biggest enemy is not Jezebel. It's Elijah. Your biggest enemy is, is not someone that you're frustrated with. Your biggest enemy is you. It's the inner me. I have to fight me on a daily basis. <laughs> Sharissa says, I'm winning. Praise God. Gotta beat me. How many of y'all are fighting yourself on a daily basis, your flesh? How many of y'all, it was a fight to get up out of bed this morning? <laughs> How many of you, it's a fight to love your family? You're like, I can't raise my hand. They're sitting next to me. <laughs> it just got real. <laughs> it's all right. There's going to be an altar call at the end. You can all come down together. How many of y'all know, though, there's, there's a fight going on in your mind? That it's, there's between the ears, there's this fight for, there's a fight for a lot of things. There's a fight for clarity of your purpose. Even, even the notes I was taking for this sermon, I had 15 pages. There was a fight to, to be clear about what it is I'm trying to say. 
There's a fight for clarity on where you're supposed to be, what you're supposed to be doing. There's a fight for passion to be alive. Uh, to, there's a fight against apathy on the inside because you get stuck in, in just the same job, same routine, and brush your teeth, wake up, go to bed. And, and so there's a lot of fights going on in your mind that you have to choose to war against. This is where Elijah's at. He's in this war, and he's ready to give up because he's like, I can't handle me anymore. I, I can't beat me anymore. I, I have had enough. My dead ancestors are better off than I am. That's what he said. And God shows up and says, what are you doing here, Elijah? What are you doing here? He wasn't asking him, why, why are, what are you doing in this physical place? What are you doing in this mental space in your head? What are you doing here emotionally? What led you here? I shared this story <laughs> in the last service when I preached last year, I was in such a comparison battle in my head because I was following, I was preaching the final service of the, of the conference like I am today. And the whole week, you know, I'd heard messages from Robert Madu, Stephen Furtick, John Bevere, Sammy Rodriguez. I mean, some of the best speakers in the world. And I was like, how am I supposed to follow these guys? And I was in this comparison trap. So I get up and I preach my heart out. I preach the word that I felt like God was telling me to preach. And it was all about, you know, that God loves you beyond your performance and God's calling on your life supersedes your perfectionism mentality. And, and people responded. I mean, there was at least 20 people that came down to the altar and, and people got saved and people were getting free. But right after I got done praying at the altar, I went back to the back room and I shut the door of the bathroom back there and I laid down on the floor like this. And I just cried. I was like, oh, I'm such a bad preacher. I'm unworthy. I shouldn't have even walked on the stage of Stephen Furtick. Oh, I'm such a loser. I preached the worst message ever. Nobody wants to hear Paul. <laughs> and here I was, and man, I was just beating myself up. Ah. You know what's crazy is Elijah was a mighty man of God. Elijah had done incredible miracles, and yet Elijah was beating himself up. And when we have the wrong perspective, nothing's good enough in our eyes. Nothing's good enough. No matter how hard you work at work, you always are like, gosh, I missed it. And, and we can be so self-loathing and self-hating and critical of ourselves about everything and nothing and, and no one's good enough when you're not good enough for you no one's good enough in your eyes people are missing the mark you're getting upset and and Elijah was in this place of self hating so here I was I was in the bathroom back there and my whole family came back to eat lunch right outside the bathroom right after the conference to celebrate what God had done and my wife is like, where's Paul? And they were like, he's in the bathroom. <laughs> and we think he's crying right now. And so she knocks on the door and I'm laying there and she's like, Paul, come out. I was like, no, why are you guys eating? Go somewhere else, don't eat here. And she's like, just let me in. And so I, I didn't wanna let her in. Like I just didn't wanna see anybody because I felt like I failed. And she was like, Paul, it was a great word. I was like, no, it wasn't. You're saying that because you're my wife. You have to say that. And she was like, stop it. You preached a good message. No, I didn't. I'm not good enough. I'm not worthy. I'm so, 
And, and she was like, you preached about God loving you past your performance. I was like, I know. <laughs> Don't remind me. My performance was bad. Then Caleb Worley shows up, my brother-in-law. Each of my family members each took their turn to knock on the door and try to pull Paul out of the bathroom. I sat there for two hours, guys. I was there till 2.30 in the afternoon, and we ended service at 12.30. I was just laying there. I didn't want to get up. Maybe I'm the only one in this room that's ever felt like a failure. Has anyone ever been there before? Hey, I love y'all too. I love you. I love, you're the best church in the world. It's been so good this week. You guys are amazing. Thank you for coming every, many of you to every service. But I felt to share this because when you're here, God's asking you this question, what are you doing here? That's what God was asking me. Paul, what are you doing here? What are you doing here? Whose opinion really matters? Whose opinion really matters? Why do you care? This aim for perfection, it's not even, a perfect performance is not even what God is interested in. He's interested in a sincere heart. And God's looking at Elijah, he's like, I love you, Elijah. What'd you expect for everyone to just be excited about your you know, moment on the, the, the mountain when the fire came down? Did you expect for everyone to be talking about it and spreading revival? Did you expect? You can't control people's response to your life. You can only control what you do. Elijah was disappointed because he was expecting a bunch from a lot of people and he was putting pressure on everybody else and he was disappointed because they weren't meeting his expectations. But internally, he was disappointed in himself because he wasn't meeting his own expectations. He felt like he should be further in the country in the revival that he was waiting for. And so God's saying, what are you doing here, Elijah? I love you, get up, get up. And he says, get up and come out to the front of the mountain. And so he gets out to the front of the mountain. And if our drummer can come back, our, our drummer's been doing a great job. I think it's, is it Brandon Benjamin? Man, the Benjamin bros are so awesome on the drums. If you haven't met the Benjamin brothers, Darren and Cameron and Brandon, these three brothers have been drumming for victory for a combined 18 years. And they've been doing it since they were like four years old, three years old. There's Brandon back there. He's 18 now. Come on. Yeah. So God calls Elijah to come out. I ever say, come out. Come out of your misery. Come out. Listen, um, disappointment is inevitable, but misery is optional. You're going to be disappointed at times in your life. It's going to happen. The more you embrace the valleys, as much as you embrace the mountaintops, the better your life will be. The more you realize that everything has a purpose. We say in our confession, I'm here on purpose because I have a purpose. We need to start saying that as, as much as we say that in the good times in life, we should also say that in the tough times in life. I'm here in this moment on purpose. Lord, use this pain for a purpose. Turn this problem into a purpose. Lord, this crisis I'm in, there's still a purpose. You have a, it's not an accident. This is not an accidental season. It's not an insignificant season. Even though it's mundane and frustrating, there's a purpose here. So God says, come out, come out and stand on the mountain. And, and the presence of the Lord is going to pass by. Now Elijah had built his whole ministry on spectacular moments, 
fire, rain, dead people coming back to life. So he's expecting God to show up the same way that God showed up to Moses in a spectacular way. God showed up to Moses on this same mountain with fire. So here's what happens in verse 11. A great and powerful wind. Give me some drums in the back. Yeah. And the, and the wind was so strong it tore the mountain apart, but God was not in the wind. And then there was an earthquake. Give me some strong bongos and yeah, the, the bass drum. Bum, 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 bum. Yeah, there was an earthquake, but God was not in the earthquake. And then there was a fire. Give me like a... But God was not in the fire. He was in a whisper. After the fire came a gentle whisper. God only whispers when he's close. If I wanna talk to you, if I wanna talk to you, and I don't want anyone else to hear, I whisper. I don't want anyone else to whisper is an act of intimacy. It's an act of privacy. It's, it's so private and so intimate. God was saying, Elijah, come close. But the whisper was also so gentle and so different than what Elijah was used to. God was shifting Elijah's focus and perspective of God. He was asking Elijah to see his life from a different angle. He was asking Elijah to see ministry from a different perspective. That spectacular ministry is not the goal. In the charismatic world, I've grown up seeing some spectacular things, and I'm, I'm proud of it. I love it. It's awesome to see miracles, signs, wonders. But let's not discount that God is still present even when there's not something spectacular happening. I don't think God's goal to the disciples was go and build a spectacular ministry. It was go and make disciples. Go and find Elisha. Look, look and listen for the whisper. There's a whisper that's been happening this week beneath the surface, beneath the lights and the sound and beneath all the building you're sitting in. There's been a whisper. How many of you have heard a whisper this week from God? Just in that still moment. In fact, Bishop Jakes was preaching during the conference. And he was about an hour in. And it was so powerful. But something was happening on the inside of me. So much so, I blacked out from where I was. I, I just kind of was on my knees. I didn't even know how long I was on my knees. But I was getting this download moment where it was like, God was speaking some things about taking the limits off for our church and what he had next. And, and that there was going to be more than what what my parents had seen, that God was gonna honor my parents' seeds by taking us into a greater harvest, and that there was more, and that our best days were truly in front of us, and that I was supposed to activate some new faith muscles in my life. That, and there was something that God was whispering these things, but no one else heard it. It was a private, intimate conversation between God and me in the middle of a big room. And when I got up, this guy came over to me that was on the front row, and he's like, you were out. I was like, how long was I out? He's like, I don't know, but you were out for a while. 
He's like, did you hear anything Bishop Jake said? And I was like, no. <laughs> there was a solid five or 10 minutes where I was just like, God wants to speak to you. He desires intimacy. How do you hear the whisper of God? Well, you've got to lean in. You've got to be a seeker. You've got to seek God's heart just like you would seek the spectacular. You've got to seek the sincere. You've got to seek after the gentle whisper of God, the same way that you would seek after seeing signs, wonders, and miracles, and dead people brought back to life. What if we had that same kind of passion to go, Lord, speak to me this week. Speak to me in the whispers. Speak to me in the still, small voice. Lord, I want to hear your voice. I want to follow the sincerity, God, of you. Paul said it like this in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 11. He says, there are people who brag about having a spectacular ministry, but we want you to know that's not us because God's called us to have a faithful and sincere heart. I want you to know we can do church without all the lights and the sound and the big speakers. And we, can, we did it this summer when all the power went out. We just had church. God says, I, I don't need all the stuff to do what I need to do. I don't need to impress you to speak to you. And God's shaking things up here with Elijah, saying, Elijah, You've been anxious. Watch what he says. What are you doing here, Elijah? Elijah speaks to him in, in verse uh, 14. Verse, verse 14, he says, God, I'll tell you what I'm doing here. I've been very passionate for you. I've been very zealous. I've been working very hard for you. What if God wants you to pause for a moment and stop magnifying what you're doing for him and start magnifying what he's doing for you? What if he's trying to break you free of you? What if he's trying to set you free from yourself? Elijah was so self-focused, and yet he was a good man. He was a mighty man. You can be a powerful man of God and still have issues. We need to take people off pedestals and realize they're still human. Elijah was saying, I love God. I'm anointed by God. I'm chosen by God, and I'm still human. I still have issues. I still have insecurities. I still go through moments where I don't know what's next. And that's okay, because God doesn't just pick perfect people. He picks sincere hearts that are available and willing and obedient to follow after him. So that's good news for you and for me. How many of you are still human and God can still use you in your humanity and his divinity can override your humanity? So Elijah says, I've been passionate for you. The Israelites, they've rejected your covenant. And he's, now he's saying, they, they've done this. They didn't do what I wanted them to do. I preached a good message. They didn't respond. I called fire down from heaven, and they've turned and, and turned your prophets down, and they've killed everyone. By the way, God, I'm all by myself. He says, I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. Elijah had forgotten. There was thousands of other believers just like him that were still alive. When you're having a self-pity party, and you're like Eeyore, Nobody invites me to their birthday party. Nobody cares about me. It's always raining on my side. You miss out that, that Elijah didn't realize there was more just like him. Eli Ashley said something during, during ministry time today. She said, you're called to follow Jesus for yourself, but not by yourself. We're called to be in community. Elijah had isolated himself. And so God says this to him. I'm going to bring it home right here. He says, go back. Go back home. If I was Elijah right in that moment, I'd be like, hold up. You want me to go back to the crazy woman? The crazy, <laughs> crazy lady? You want me to go back 
to where it was uncomfortable and difficult and frustrating. You want me to go back to the same job, back to the same marriage, back to the same family, back with the same kids? You want me to go back to the same university, back to the same school where there was bullies and the teachers weren't always nice? I thought you were gonna give me something new. You're telling me I gotta go back? And God says, I want you to go back, but back with a new heart, back with a new attitude, back with a new mindset. It's been good here, Elijah. I hear you, your pastor. Isn't it interesting? God doesn't even really address Jezebel. Elijah's like, Jezebel's trying to kill me. And God goes, I want you to go back home. I want you to do this, this, and that. He doesn't even talk about Jezebel. In other words, God's saying, you've magnified this problem bigger than your God, and it's really not that big of a deal. Like, she's not gonna be there like you think she's gonna intimidate you. She's not as powerful as she looks. The problem you're facing is not as powerful as it looks. The personal issue you have, the battle with that person, it's not really with the person, it's with the spirit. So God says, I want you to go back and I want you to fight that spirit and I want you to lean in. He says, go back the way you came, go through the desert. And when you get there, anoint Hazel king over Aram. Now, what God was saying is, Elijah, you've been complaining about your nation. You've been complaining about your nation. But now I want you to start prophesying over your nation. Stop talking about where they are and start talking about where I'm taking them. Stop talking about your past like it's a destination. Start talking about the future. I'm a prophetic God. I'm not a pathetic God. I'm not a backwards God. I'm a forwards God. God says, I'm not really here to talk about what you can't change. What's behind you is behind you. Some of us are living in a rear view mirror our entire life. We're celebrating our glory days or we're, or, or we're just completely frustrated about what we walked through in our past. And God says, set that down let's talk about what's in front of you let's talk about what where I'm taking you and then he says anoint Jehu son of Nimshi the cousin of Yoshi from Super Mario Bros king over Israel and anoint Elisha son of Shaphat I don't have any connections for Shaphat from Abel Mahola to succeed you as prophet in other words God says I got more for you turn to the person next to say he's got more for you God has more for you you ain't seen nothing yet. Your best days are still in front of you. There's more. God's not finished with you yet. I know you're discouraged, but get up. So that day last year when I was laying down in the bathroom, finally God was like, Paul, get up. Go back home. Go love your kids. And get up next week and preach again. But God, I feel like no one was there. Stop throwing a pity party. Stop making it all about, it's not about you, it's about God. Stop making your problems and your insecurities bigger than your God. How big is God in your mind? Remember who you are, remember whose you are, and remember the calling of God on your life. And I love what Elijah does next. Right after this verse it says, so Elijah went. So Elijah went from here to there. Literally, that's what it says. Elijah went from here to there. You're here but God has a there for you. You're here right now. You've been at this mountain. God's been molding you on the mountain. He's been confronting insecurities. He's been speaking to you about some doubts. He's been challenging your feelings of insecurity. He's been challenging your feelings about a problem you're facing, about a person that you're battling with, about a situation at work, and God says, you can't stay at this mountain. It's time to leave here and it's time to go there. It's time to get up, it's time to go back. So the night before this conference started, my mother-in-law decided it would be a good idea for all of her son-in-laws to have a camp out with their children. 
and that she was gonna sleep inside with air conditioning and nice food. And we were gonna pitch a tent and sleep outside in 100 degree weather and sweat with our little toddlers out in a tent. So our toddlers thought it was a great idea. I have a four-year-old, a three-year-old, and a three-month-old. The three-month-old, he couldn't camp out with us. We might take him out in a few months, but I had the four-year-old and the three-year-old. And I was with my other two brother-in-laws and they had their kids. And so there was like 10 of us out there in a tent and it was the most miserable night of sleep. I love my kids, but man, they were kicking and screaming and fighting till 2 a.m. And, and Liam brought a bag of 30 DVDs with him from our house. And he was like, I gotta have my DVDs. And he was hitting people with his DVDs. And I was like, God, I just wanna get out of here. I just wanna go to the conference. This week has been so good. It's easier to be in the conference than it is to be at home. I love my family. I love my kids. But after about an hour and a half, I'm ready to go back to the conference. I, like, I'm good, let's go to the zoo. And then after about an hour at the zoo, I'm like, let's go back to work, I'm ready to go. And God says, go back home and love your kids with a new heart and love your little three-year-old with a new attitude and have a different perspective as a daddy than you've had these last few years. You need to get out of this complaining mindset you've had, Paul. So I woke up at like 5 a.m. because Liam kicked me in the face <laughs> and slammed his DVDs against, anyways, I was hurting. <laughs> I feel like Liam knows what he's doing when he hurts me and hits me in places that he shouldn't. And he's like, oh, I'm sorry, Daddy. I'm like, you know you did that. <laughs> ah, I just want to be at church all the time. But God says, you got to leave this mountain. We've had a good time. We've had a good experience. But you can't stay here. You got to go back home. You got to take this love and you got to go back to that job. I remember when I wanted to quit school at Oral Roberts University, it was, my, uh, it was between my sophomore year and junior year, and I just was ready to be done. Like, I just did not like school and homework, and I was ready to get in the ministry, and God said, did I call you to prepare for the ministry? Do you think I'm done preparing you through this education right now? And I knew that God was not done, but I felt done. God said, go back to school and get a better attitude when you go back to school. And instead of hating homework, I want you to love it because this homework's gonna help you be a better pastor one day. This studying theology, even though it's frustrating and you're sitting in classes and you wish you were somewhere else, I want you to lean in and learn. This season is significant. This moment is important. I know it's not spectacular. I know the fire didn't fall and the rain's not falling. I know you're sitting in class. I know you got a bad boss. I know you got some coworkers that are crazy and you got a Jezebel situation going on here, but go back home and love people the way that I've called you to love them and minister and anoint and prophesy. He says, go back home. Look at the person next to you, go back home. I don't know who I'm speaking to, but someone has, has had some great words from God and now it's time to apply it. Now it's time to take it back home, take it back. And to win the war against you on a daily basis is to say, Lord, I choose to change my perspective in this situation. I choose to be thankful. I choose to be grateful for where I am and what you're doing in me and where you're taking me. Lord, I choose to see what you want me to see. I want you to just say this with me. My future is bright. My future is blessed. My future has favor all over it. God's not finished with me. My best days 
are right in front of me. And right now is significant. This day, this season, these relationships, they matter. So I choose to bring it back home. Everything that God's been speaking to me is needed right now in my present to prepare for my future. Y'all believe that? Come on, stand to your feet all over this place. You know what's interesting is Elijah went from here to there. He left the mountain. Just like we're leaving this conference, some of you are going back to a ministry that, um, that needs exactly what you got this week. Some of you are going back to a business that needs what you got this week. Some of you are going back to a marriage, a family. I'll never forget, in the first year of our marriage, one night, Ash and I got into a, a disagreement. Like we, we like to say that in the church. It was just a little disagreement. And, um, and it, was, it was a rough disagreement. And I was frustrated. And I walked out of our little condo and I got in my car I said, I'm going for a drive, you know? <laughs> so I'm driving my car and I'm driving down River Road right here in Tulsa. It's a long road with no stoplights. And God says, what are you doing here? God, I'm frustrated. Ashley's not submitting. God says, what? You're not submitting. You're not submitting. What? I thought I was in charge. God was just correcting me in this moment. God says, go back home. Go say sorry. Go humble yourself. Go love your wife. Go repent. There's been multiple moments in my life where God stopped me in my tracks and said, go back. Go back to your mom and apologize for the way you talked to her. Go back to your wife. Go back to the stage and preach again. Go back to your children and love them. Go back. There's, there's always that temptation to just kind of like, oh, I want something new, I want something fresh. I don't want the same thing. And God says, I'm, I'm keeping you in the same place. I brought you to this mountain not to escape your problems, but to prepare to go back and face your problems. I brought you to this conference so you would hear a word from God, not so you could leave your spouse and your kids and your job and your ministry, but that so you could go back with a new heart and a new attitude and a new thankfulness and go back in, in a new humility and say, I was wrong. Lord, help me to be a better man. Lord, help me to love the people right in front. Help me to value what's right in front of me. Help me to see the acres of diamonds that are right beneath my feet. I want us just to close our eyes all over this place. You're here right now. God's been speaking to you all week. Maybe you've responded to many altar calls. Maybe you haven't responded to any, but you know there's some things that God's saying, you need to go back to that and you need to go in with a new heart, a new attitude. I feel to speak specifically to students that are getting ready to go back to school. There's, I, I sense in my spirit there's been some students, maybe one student in this room, where it's just been tough in your heart and your mind to go back and face some things at school. 
I feel like there might even be a pastor in this room, a minister in this room that's about to go back and have to face some things at the ministry that just aren't easy. And God said, I never promised it would be easy, but I promised I would be with you, that I'd give you the courage to make decisions you need to make. And I give you the strength to handle the adversity you're gonna face. And I'm gonna give you a legacy. It's not gonna stop with you. I'm giving you an Elisha. Someone's waiting for you to go back. There's someone on the other side of your obedience to go back that's gonna step into the ministry they're called to. Elisha was waiting on Elijah. Elisha was waiting on Elijah to go back. And I hear God saying, there's, there's someone here, there's a mom, there's a dad, there's a son, there's a daughter, there's a college student, there's a pastor, there's a businessman, there's someone here and, and you've heard some great words this week or maybe this is the only message you've heard but it's the only message God wanted you to hear this week. And God's saying, listen here, go back home and go do what I've asked you to do with the courage that I'm giving you to go back with with heads bowed and eyes closed, if that's you, and you need that courage, that strength, that peace, going back to that thing, that place, that home, I want you to raise your hand all over this room. I'm, I'm praying for someone right now. There's a young man, there's a young girl, there's a mom, there's a dad, you're, you're facing some things. Yeah, hands going up all over this place. God's saying, I want you to go back with strength, with courage. I want you to go back to Jericho, Joshua. I know you went there 40 years ago and things didn't work out, but I'm calling you back. This time walls are gonna fall. There's some things that you've been waiting on. There's some dreams, some businesses, some ministries, some books. I want you to go back to writing. I want you to go back to writing. But God, it didn't work out last time. There's some of you in this room, you've walked away from something you feel like you failed at. God says, get up and go back. You're not a failure. Failure is not final. I'm not finished with you. Your best days are in front of you. If you raised your hand or should have raised your hand, I want you to leave your chair. Come and join me at this altar right here, right now. It's time to bring it back home. It's time to bring it back home. Bring back the courage. Bring back the power. Bring back the sincerity. Bring back the humility. Bring back the repentance. Bring back the praise. Bring back the worship. Bring back the heart of God. Bring back the faith. Bring back the miracles. Bring back the listening ear. God says, I've got more, but you gotta bring it back home. I'm gonna do more through you, but you've gotta obey. Don't delay, just obey. Come on, let's worship, Michael. Lead us into worship all over this place. Let's lift our hands and sing it out. that's you just come and join us at this altar maybe you got lost in the spectacular God says come down yeah come back to that place of humility 
Maybe you've been hurting, wounded. Maybe somebody wounded you. You're saying, Lord, I'm coming back. I'm coming back with forgiveness. Lord, I'm going back home with grace. I'm going back home with forgiveness. Coming back to the heart of worship. Lord, it's all about you. Jesus, I'm sorry, Lord, for the thing I made it. Because it's all about you. Is there anyone in this room that's not at this altar? You feel called to ministry, but the enemy has been trying to make you feel unworthy to do it. I don't know who you are, but you've kind of been on this battle against whether you should take another step towards that ministry calling. If that's you, I want you to leave your seat. I want to pray for you. I, I really sense that there's someone here. God has something for you lined up, but he's waiting on you to accept it like Jonah and stop running from it and come back to it. And it may even be that your parents were pastors and you just got hurt somewhere in the church and ministry and so you ran from that calling. And God says, I want you to, I want you to come back to that because I still have a calling on your life. Someone in this room, you failed at something and you, you feel like failure was final for you. But God says, I, I want to restore you. I don't know who you are. Someone in this room, you failed in something. Maybe it was marriage or whatever. And, and the enemy has been accusing you, saying it's over. There's nothing for you. And God's saying, no, I want to restore you. I want to restore you. I want to give you a new healthy marriage. I want to bring you back into the ministry. I want to restore you back into your purpose. If that's you and you need restoration, come down to this altar. I want to pray for you for restoration. Whatever it is, you might even be here with, with your ex. You might even be here with your new spouse and you've been battling it. I want you to come down. I want to pray for you. Today's a new day of restoration. God welcomed Elijah back into ministry, even after his sense of depression and discouragement. God's welcoming you back. He's saying, I'm not angry at you. I'm not mad at you. I'm madly in love with you. I still have a plan for your life. I still am going to use you with a great purpose. God has greater joy for you, greater peace for you. Your best days are not behind you. God says, I'm taking you places. I'm taking you from here to there. Let's just raise our hands right now. And if you're out in the crowd and you're a believer, maybe you could stretch your hands out. There's, there's something happening at this altar right now in people's hearts. Say, Jesus, I surrender. Not my will, but your will be done. Holy Spirit, help me. Lead me. Jesus, thank you for giving me victory. Victory over myself, over the accusations from the enemy. I am not a failure. I am not defeated. I will not live in misery. 
I will walk in victory through Jesus Christ who gives me strength. Thank you, Lord, for restoring me. I am a child of God. I believe that you're not finished with me. You're just getting started and you have so much more to do in me and to do through me. So Lord, I'm all yours. I repent of sin and I receive your forgiveness. I'm a new creation. You've washed me. You've cleansed me. I'm not what I've done. I'm not what's been done to me. I am a mighty child of God with a purpose and my best days are right in front of me. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. I love you, church.